Have you ever been made to feel like not only an action that you've done, but you yourself were a mistake? If, if you have, then you've actually experienced guilt, which is, I made a mistake, and shame, I am a mistake. When was the first time you experienced shame? Was it um, when you spilled the milk on picture day and you had to get redressed and you ended up being late to have your picture taken? Was it when you broke your grandmother's favorite lamp? You know, the one that she inherited from her favorite aunt. Or was it when you were outside playing and you ran into the street to get the ball, not thinking, and your father yelled at you, what in the world are you doing? Or perhaps it was the time when your best friend told you that she could no longer support you because the person you wanted to date was white. Or transgender or too full-figured, or Buddhist. Maybe it was the time when your adult siblings said to you, I really don't want you to come to my house anymore. I'm, I'm just not comfortable with you being around my children now that you've embraced your true gender identity. Perhaps it was the time when your pastor told you you're an abomination. Organized religion is good. It, it actually is very good at guilt and shame. We, we are started off in Sunday school and vacation Bible school singing songs like, if you know it, join me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. Or maybe you sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, we're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You learn those songs. But by the time you got to BYU, or being a teenager, you had also learned that you were shackled by a heavy burden neath a load of guilt and shame. 
And then by the time you became an adult, you were singing, there is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. You were taught to be shame-bound. And, and it's, it's done well. We just completed our Lenten journey and we begin it with the imposition of ashes. We blessed you, not here, but in many churches, you get blessed with sinner. From dust you are to dust you shall return. We're taught to fast, to pray, to almsgives as, as a penitence for your shameful and sinfulness. We are repeatedly taught that we are sinners and unworthy of God's grace. And we're taught that because of what we do today, Jesus died on the cross 2,000 plus years ago. Constantly, organized religion reminds us of our guilt and our shame. We're taught stories like today's gospel reading about doubting Thomas. It's said that Thomas is just a little lower than Judas in the, the disciple rank because you know, he doubted the risen Christ. Or at least that's how organized religion prefers us to read this story because you see it gets to make somebody shameful. Have you ever been called a doubting Thomas? I have. But I didn't believe exactly what I was supposed to believe or do exactly what I was supposed to do when I didn't have enough faith. Being different. Believing different. We are told is shameful. We're taught doubting is shameful. But I ask you, why should doubt be shameful? For me, it is the very precursor to faith. I propose perhaps, just perhaps, you have been taught to misread and misinterpret the stories of the Bible. I say this because I ask myself, why is Thomas singled out as a, a doubter when everybody in John's resurrection story, with the exception of Mary Magdalene and one unnamed disciple, doubted that Jesus had risen? Right before the piece that Shari read, you'd see that they were locked in a room. Afraid, hiding. They did not believe. They were fearful of what the Roman authorities would do to them. 
if they were identified as disciples of Jesus. Yet Thomas, the one who was bold enough to leave the room, the one who was bold enough to live his life, the one who was bold enough to admit his doubt, is the very one we are taught to not be like. We learn early, don't tell your truth or we will shame you. Really? I believe Thomas and many of us who are different, who believe different, become the object of shame because others need someone to blame. Because this is how shame works. Reverend Kieran McClintock says in Shameless Lives, Graceful Congregations, blame is the projection of unwanted shame as they are on the exact same emotional line. She says, because shame feels so terrible, we avoid it through the use of blame. She says that we use blame and shame when we are different from others. But not just different, different better, different smarter, different more capable. The more shame we carry, the more likely we are to divide life into goodness and wretchedness. Ahmed experienced this blaming type of shame in today's vignette. You know, you may be thinking, no, I don't know if that was blaming. I, I, I think that was straight out racism. And you're right. But that's how blame and shame shows up in a societal, systemic way. You and I have a, a difference. And I perceive that you and I are different. Then I get to define what that difference is so, is so that I can then decide that how I am and how I think and who I am and what I do is superior to who and what you are. And then I get to blame you and attempt to shame you because you are not me. You are not the perception of what is superior. Society and church have used insignificant differences like doubt and belief in a specific doctrine to blame and shame people. We've used different pigmentation. We've used different eye color, different hair color, the way you maintain your hair, different religions, different ethnicities, different, different anything in order to shame people. Any perceived difference where I can tell myself that I'm smarter, that I'm better, that I'm capable, that 
my religion is valid and yours is not? When I heard Ahmed's story during dialogues of grace, I thought, God bless that woman with whom he had that encounter. Because she was willing to let her husband die instead of ask him for help. Because she had a, a perceived difference in who she thought he was. Now, Ahmed may have very well had his own human eyes to say, yeah, we are different, but I believe that he used the eyes of his heart, the eyes of his soul, to see them as human beings who were in a dire situation, who just needed a helping hand. I believe he offered grace in that moment. You see, Ahmed is actually a, a medical interpreter for many of the hospitals in the medical center, which is part of the reason why he was still there that evening when he encountered these people. Yet I believe that in his soul, he knew that he was in a grace moment. Grace, a sacred moment when two or more souls connect. Grace, when a moment when you can see my sacred core and I can see your sacred core. Grace, a connection beyond guilt and blame and shame and fear. Grace, a moment beyond perceptions and prejudgments. When Jesus came to Thomas, I believe it was a grace moment. He said, hear me, see me, touch me, and believe. I don't believe there was any judgment, any shame, no blame, only grace. Offering Thomas exactly what he needed in that moment in order to believe. I believe that encounter was a sacred opportunity for their two souls to connect. I believe Jesus offered Thomas grace. Jesus said to all those present that day, I need you to hear me. Just as God sent me to teach you how to open yourselves to residing in and offering grace. So now I send you to teach others to love God, love themselves, and to love others, to open themselves to the opportunity to offer grace. That's the mission of the church. Not to shame, not to blame, but to teach you grace. And then how to offer it to others. 
In that room long ago, Jesus offered us an opportunity to begin again. Hear me, he said, receive anew the very breath of God. The Holy Spirit, for in receiving it, you will receive peace, forgiveness, and grace. And once you've received it, go and offer peace and forgiveness and grace. People of resurrection, you are worthy of God's love. When organized religion calls you a sinner, I believe that they're perpetrating verbal abuse. I believe that it injures God's very heart because it injures your soul. Paraphrasing from Brian McLaren's book, which we are doing as a year-long study on spiritual formation, we make the road by walking. Jesus showed us his scars that night in order for us to realize we don't have to hide ours. Not to become a part of a graceful, shameless community. Because in a community of grace, everyone matters, everyone is welcome, and everyone is loved. No conditions, no exceptions, no shame. A shameless, graceful community is for scarred people. It is for scared people. It is for people who doubt. It's for people who don't yet know what to believe and maybe aren't even sure how to find out. As an ordained minister of organized religion, today I ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness for the harm we have done to each one of you. Because you are the people of God and are worthy. I ask your forgiveness for not explaining to you your worthiness in the dominion of God. I ask your forgiveness for not sharing with you an interpretation of Scripture that repeatedly returns you to God's desire to be in relationship with you. I ask your forgiveness for not emphasizing enough that Jesus came to reconcile your relationship to God. I ask your forgiveness for not telling you that you don't have to be Christ, perfect in every way, to be inside of God's love because all God asks of you is to be the best and most authentic you that you can be. So for the next four weeks in the, this sermon series and on Wednesday nights and in, on Facebook, we will be exploring our shame places and discovering new ways in which we can heal them.
We will look at our own places of guilt and shame and open them to grace. We'll learn how to live a more shameless life and a more graceful one. I told you about being blessed on Ash Wednesday and I came across a, a new blessing that I would like to leave you with today. It is called A Blessing of the Dust by Jan Richardson. And it says this, All those days you felt like dust, like dirt. As if all you had to do was turn your face toward the wind and be scattered to the four corners or swept away by the smallest breath as insubstantial. Do you not know what God can do with dust? This is the day we freely say we are scorched. This is the hour we are marked by what has made it through the burning. This is the moment we ask for the blessing that lives within the ancient ashes, that makes its home inside the soul of the sacred earth. So let us be marked, not for sorrow. And let us be marked, not for shame. Let us be marked, not for false humility or for thinking we are less than we are but for claiming what God can do within the dust, within the dirt, within the stuff of which the world is made and the stars that blaze in our bones and the galaxies that spiral inside the smudge we wear. I hope you will join us on this journey to become shameless and graceful. Amen.